Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by those who listen and by Lee Toyota of Topsum, featuring the new all-electric Toyota BZ4X, available for test drives. LeeToyota.com. Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Maine Public's chief political correspondent, Steve Missler, alongside State House reporter Kevin Miller. Well, Democratic Governor Janet Mills delivered her budget address this week, and it was sweeping, thorough, and long, clocking in at just over an hour. We're not going to get into the details because, frankly, the budget has been out for more than a month. It's expected to change, and you can watch the governor's speech at mainepublic.org. But, Kevin, I was struck by some big issues that the governor did not bring up on Tuesday. Yeah, so three omissions that jumped out were paid family and medical leave, the potential for cutting taxes as part of the budget negotiations, and anything to do with the Wabanaki tribes in Maine. Mills didn't touch any of those issues at all in her speech. Yeah, and technically this is a budget address, and some of the topics you just mentioned would be more likely discussed in a state-of-the-state address. But then again, the governor did make some non-budget announcements including reforms at the state's Child Protection Agency, an acceleration of renewable energy development, expansion of district court judgeships, and opioid crisis initiatives. So for that reason, the omission of these three very big issues was pretty noticeable. Let's start with paid family leave, which was, as we discussed last week, could be one of the leading issues this legislative session. So uh, progressive groups are pushing hard for a paid family and medical leave law here in Maine. You can already take up to 12 weeks off uh, under federal law to take care of a family member or, or yourself if you're, if you're ill. But the, your employer is not obligated to pay you for that time. But what we're expecting to see here this session is a paid leave program financed through a payroll tax. But here's the hitch, and this might be why uh, Governor Mills didn't bring it up. Business groups so far aren't on board. And Governor Mills, while she supports paid leave, she says that any plan has to take into account the perspective of the business community, especially small businesses. So she might be keeping her powder dry at this point, at least publicly. And as we talked about last week, uh, hanging over all this debate is pretty much a guarantee that if a paid family medical leave law doesn't come out of the legislature this year, those progressive groups are poised to to send it to voters via a ballot initiative. Right, and that ballot initiative may end up being more um, worker-friendly, if you will, than say something that comes out of the legislature, which might be more of a compromise between the progressive advocacy groups and business organizations. Yeah, that's right. All right, then there's uh, tax cuts, which we already know is a Republican priority in the budget. Although to be clear, the GOP has not presented a tax cut plan yet And that plan is going to be a starting point for negotiations. Otherwise, they'd be debating rhetoric, which isn't helpful. What did you make of the governor not even mentioning tax cuts in her speech? I mean, she could have dismissed the idea right out of the gate. She could have opened the door. But Governor Mills didn't do either of those things. Yeah, no, she didn't. And and the question is, what message was she sending with that omission? Was she signaling to Republicans that she won't support a tax cut, so don't even try? That's, That's one potential interpretation. But I think one thing that's important to remember here is that unlike her predecessor, uh, Republican Governor Paula Page, Mills not only served in the, leg- in the legislature, but she served on the Appropriations Committee that actually writes the state budget. She knows the process, and therefore she knows that most of these negotiations will happen bet- in that committee or between Democratic and Republican leaders. That's not to say that her administration won't have an influence. They, they certainly will. 
But Governor LePage couldn't even get some of his tax code changes through a Republican-controlled legislature. So by design here in Maine, governors only have so much influence when it comes to writing the state budget. Right. And I'm sensing a common denominator here in these omissions that we're cataloging. It seems to be that there are very sensitive negotiations yet to take place. And so talking about them in public maybe provokes some people, including us, to draw some inferences from that those remarks and so maybe just avoiding them altogether was the uh, was by design i don't know right and i think that we've seen uh, from governor mills so far during her four years um, that she is not one that likes to negotiate in public or through the press she does uh, they all do it on occasion but much less so than say governor lepage who was very clear in his positions on issues and made that very clear when he differed with the legislature he sure did um, <laughs> finally mills made no mention of the simmering debate over the expansion of rights for wabanaki tribes what i found interesting about this is that the governor didn't even mention tribal matters at all during her state of the state speech last year but she ended up backing two bills that directly affected the tribes one giving them exclusive rights to mobile sports betting, and another giving the Passamaquoddy tribe more control over drinking water supplies. She also used her support of those proposals as leverage in blocking a more sweeping sovereignty bill. I think this seems like a policy area where Governor Mills tends to keep her cards close to her vest, like, like we were just saying. Look, we all know, uh, because she's been crystal clear on this point, that she didn't support last year's sweeping bill to overhaul that 1980 agreement that tribal leaders say has really harmed their community and is denying the tribes the right to self-government that pretty much every other uh, federally recognized tribes around the country have. But she's told us and other reporters that she's open to discussions about specific issues uh, so this would be more of a piecemeal approach. And from what we're seeing and hearing here at the Statehouse, those conversations between tribal leaders and the administration are happening. And as we've also talked about before, the Wabanaki leaders are working hard to enlist more Republican support this year. And that technically could allow them to get around a veto from Mills if there is a bill that actually makes it through the legislature. I mean, that's a lot of speculation at this point, but it, it does seem like the governor is is – She's making clear she's open to these conversations, but at the same time, the Wabanaki tribes are, are looking to build those, those bridges with Republicans as well. Yeah, that is interesting because, you know, that's, I mean, I, I do question whether or not the Wabanaki Alliance will be able to bi build a critical mass of GOP support on this issue. But the fact that they're even trying shows that they're look, already looking for other avenues here if they can't get what they want via the governor's office, because at the end of the day, her veto pen is pretty powerful, and that's what's standing in their way of uh, some of the issues that they really care about. Right. And I think it's one uh, also important to note that the Wabanaki uh, leaders have not come out and said what they plan to push for this legislative session. And House Speaker Rachel Talbot Ross and legislative leaders have said that it is entirely up to those tribal leaders to decide what they want to pursue this year. All right. Before we move off paid family leave, or maybe we'll circle back to paid family leave, it's worth noting that advocates for the ballot initiative have plenty of cash to advance their cause if the legislative effort fails. We did a little poking around some campaign finance reports and found that some national groups backed by progressive mega donors are already bankrolling the effort. The main group leading the ballot campaign has already brought in $1.2 million. One of those donor organizations is uh, 1630 Fund, which is often described as a dark money 
group on the left because they don't have to disclose their donors. It is known from past reporting that one of those donors is George Soros, who Republicans love to paint as you know the puppet master behind uh, the Democratic agenda. And more generally, it does seem like there are some other well-heeled uh, progressive donors that are supporting this campaign. Another uh, topic that we're going to dig into also out of the governor's speech uh, is the governor's announcement Tuesday that she plans to accelerate her renewable energy targets. Kevin, there's already a debate brewing in the legislature about this nexus between high electricity rates and renewable energy development. Governor Mills's announcement, you know, basically accelerating her targets, sure seems like it's going to intensify that discussion. Yeah, it is. Uh, on Tuesday, Mills said she'll introduce a bill to bump up by a decade from 2050 to 2040. The timeline for obtaining 100% of the state's electricity from renewable sources. What will be interesting, as you said, uh, to see is how that debate dovetails or maybe it butts heads with this other debate over energy policy. There are a lot of bills dealing with electricity prices. You know, uh, natural gas prices are the biggest driver of, of those rate spikes. But Republicans were already blaming the state's renewable energy policies for some of those higher costs. And indeed, a new report came out recently showing that the explosion of these larger grid-scale solar farms in Maine is going to lead to an increase in electricity rates very soon unless the state changes the financial incentives that those projects can tap into. So I'm sure we'll hear more of that. In fact, uh, Representative uh, Billy Bob Falkingham, the Republican leader in the House, told the Portland Press-Herald that Governor Mills' proposal is, quote, a great idea if you hate poor people. Right. And this is a common refrain that we hear from conservatives, which is that, you know, it's ratepayers and oftentimes um, uh, people that are low income that are helping subsidize the development of renewable energy. And their position effectively is, is that it, it's not fair that that's happening. So that's right. OK, well, next week is school vacation week, and that means the legislature is going to throttle back a bit. No House or Senate sessions and committee work will largely be confined to budget hearings and some hearings about transportation. But is there anything you want to empty from the notebook before we sign off today? Yeah, one thing that we should probably circle back on is the legal troubles that are facing the member of the House, Representative Clinton uh, Collimore. Arraignment was held on Thursday in uh, Lincoln County. Uh, he's facing multiple felony fraud charges over uh, allegations that he forged signatures in order to get uh, public campaign financing. And uh, he pled not guilty to that to those charges, but he did say that he would resign from the legislature, which is something that House Speaker Rachel Talbot Ross had asked him to do. Okay, that's Kevin Miller. I'm Steve Missler, and that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. A reminder that you can subscribe to The Pulse wherever you get your podcasts. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is delivered straight to you on Friday mornings. Also, The Pulse will be joining Maine Calling at 11 a.m. next Friday, so you can catch us live then or you can wait until the podcast comes out in the afternoon. We'll talk to you next week.